Let's open to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're looking at the life of Moses. Again, we're following uh, the Hall of Faith. And so if you wonder who we're, who are we going to look at next, go to the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see who the next person is there, and we'll look at uh, them uh, in the coming weeks. But Moses, what a, what a story, what a guy. You know, we, we talked about the three different periods in Moses' life, 40 years in Pharaoh's house, 40 years out in the desert, and then 40 years leading the nation of Israel. And, and uh, those first two periods, of course, were like preparation time. You get prepared in the house of Pharaoh, and then he got prepared out in the wilderness in the desert. So he really had, you know, two-thirds of his life was getting ready for what God wanted him to do. So some of us think, you know, God doesn't want me to do anything because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over the hill. But you'd be surprised. Maybe Moses thought the same thing too, but God said, hey, I'm going to put my hand on you. And, but it says there in Hebrews 11 that Moses persevered or he endured because he saw him who is invisible. He kept his eyes on God. These were eyes of faith, not physical eyes, but eyes of faith. And he kept his eyes focused on him. And that's what enables you and I to endure. So God had a plan for Moses. And, and I believe, I really do believe this, that God has a plan for each and every one of us. It's all different. We all have different gifts, different abilities, different uh, personalities, and God can use each one of us differently, but he calls us all to be the salt of the, of the earth and the light in the world. Jesus is the light, but he calls us to be little lights, and, and so he has a plan for each and every one of us. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, I'll put it on the screen for you. It says that by faith he, that is Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch Israel's own firstborn. So this is kind of like the third uh, and final period in Moses' life. And he would be part of that, what we call the exodus, the, the nation coming out of the land of Egypt and, and then making its way to the promised land. A 40-year journey. It should have taken a lot less, I have to say, but that's what happened. However, before Moses got to that place, again, Moses is now out in the wilderness. He's taking care of sheep or whatever. It's this experience that Moses has at the burning bush, what we call the burning bush. This is where we're going to pick it up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. You'll turn with me, look with me there. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So Moses is out there, you know, you think, well, you know, he... His life had been so changed. He'd been out there. He's out there like 40 years now just watching after a few sheep. 
and, and he really didn't get very far in his life, did he? he? He didn't even have his own sheep. Forty years later, he doesn't even have his own sheep. He's just kind of stuck watching his father-in-law's sheep. But God had a plan, as I said. God had a plan, and, and God... Uh, reaches out to Moses here and, and when he wasn't expecting it, right? He's just out there. He's, in fact, he's way out there in the far side of the desert, the back side of the desert, some translations say. And God has a plan and God speaks to him. He says, the angel of the Lord. In this particular case, when you see that, the messenger of the Lord is actually the Lord himself. God revealing himself to this guy Moses. Someone said this, that God's revelation of himself and his will was often accompanied by fire. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 12 says that our God is a consuming fire. So there's something about this fire that's going on here. Later on in the book of Exodus, it says that the Lord descended on Mount Sinai in fire says in chapter 24, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So you've got this fire thing that's happening. And I, and I wonder too, when God, when you know that God's speaking to you, there's some kind of a fire about it. It's not maybe a, a literal physical fire, like Moses actually saw a literal physical fire. But there's some kind of fire that, you know, that God is putting this thing, this call, this direction in your life and you have to do what he has to say look at verse 4 it says when the Lord saw and Moses went over to check this thing out right when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look God called to him from within the bush Moses Moses and Moses said what did he say here I am Moses said here I am that's a good answer, right? When God speaks to you, what do you say? You run the other way? Like Jonah, right? This is what Jonah did, right? But Moses' first answer, and keep in mind because we're going to look at his other answers, his first answer is, here I am. And that's a good answer. We need to stick with that one. Is that your final answer? Right? You know that program a long time ago. Some of you don't remember Final answer, but it wasn't his final answer, sad to say, but it should have been. Here I am, whatever you say. Like Isaiah, it says in Isaiah chapter 6, what did he say? Here am I, what? Send me. Here am I, send me. Here, here I am, I'm available for you, for whatever your purposes are, whatever your call is on my life, and I'll just, I'm just going to do it. I know it may not be easy, but I'm just going to be and do what, God, you want me to be and to do. Look at verse 5. God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What do we see here? We see the holiness of God. 
You know, we, we like to talk about how much God loves us, and believe me, He does. But there's something about God, too, that He's utterly holy. And, and what made this place holy? Why did Moses have to take off his sandals? Because the presence of God was there. I think you and I, we, we really have no clue how holy God really is. We, we really have no clue. He's, he, he's, he's told there, take off your sandals. That's far enough. James, both James and Peter say in the New Testament that that we should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because of who He is. The mighty, holy, awesome, almighty God. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites. You say all these words. Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. God sees, God cares, God is going to rescue them. God is going to bring them into the promised land. You see, something's going on here. But God is, God is revealing to Moses what his heart is. I said, that, I said that God certainly loves us, and God loved his people. God loves his people. But you know what? He loves and cares for us, too. We are his people, and he sees what you're going through. He cares about it, and he will do something about it. Now, it's not usually when we want it to happen. I know that by experience. But I know by experience as well that God always does something, and he will always show up. Why? Because he's faithful. Even when I'm not faithful, he can't deny himself because he is utterly faithful. After all these years, now that we're talking, you know, like 400 years, the nation, uh, very small at the time, started off in the land of Egypt, right? A small group of people, but they became a massive nation of, of people within the nation of, of, of Egypt. But it was a long, long time before the answer finally came. But now Moses is getting this call, and God says, now it's time. It's time now. But until God says it's time, guess what? What? It's not time. Until God says it's time, it's not time. God, is it time yet? Are we, are we there yet? You know, the kids in the car. Are we, are we there? No, be quiet. Somebody was getting the food ready yesterday at the wedding, and, I, and I, I was joking with them. I wanted to get their attention because I wanted them to, I wanted to say hi to them. I said, is it ready yet? And they looked at me like kind of angry. And I go, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to say hi to you. <laughs> then she threw something at me. It's time. Look at verse 10, though. This is, this is where all, it all kinds of, it, it, it all turns around. Verse 10, 
God is speaking to Moses and he says, so now go, G-O. He says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He told, he told them all about how much he cared, how much uh, he loved them, how much he was going to rescue them. And he said, now I'm sending you to go. I'm sending you. David Guzik said that God could have done it all by himself, but it is most often that his plan is to work with and through people. He wants to use you and me, people. He could have just done it himself. Moses' answer, his first answer, here I am, should have just stopped there. What is his first answer? Well, he starts these, a series really of five different uh, reluctances. His first reluctance here, found in verse 11, he says, But Moses said, it's always when it starts, but, but Moses said to God, Who am I? He knew, what Moses, he knew what God was telling him to do. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, in some senses, this is good, right? Because previously he thought, you know, hey, look at me. I'm going to be the deliverer and I'm going to do all this. And now he's been out in the wilderness 40 years and now he says, who am I? So he was humbled through that experience and that's a good thing, right? Up to a point. The point being where you use that as an excuse not to do what God wants you to do. Well, who am I? Well, God says, when you ask that question, you know, Moses says, you're sending who? Moses, uh, God says to him, I'm sending you. And, and Moses says, well, who am I? And God says, well, you're no one, really, truthfully. You're nobody. It's when you think you're somebody that you can, that's just pride and arrogance, and, and God can't use people who are full of pride and arrogance. But God says to Moses, and he says it to you, to you and me as well, you're really knowing, but what's that got to do with it? If I'm sending you, if I'm calling you, you need to go. Look at verse 12. He says, you're not the important one. He says, God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Many years later, he would realize, well, many months later, I should say, he would realize what God was doing. See, it's not us. If we begin to think, you know, uh, that, you know, we're the, the best thing since sliced bread, or, you know, we're God's gift to you know, the world or, you know. Pastor Chuck always used to say, you know, when you start to get proud, that that's the time God's going to put you on the shelf. So Moses was kind of in a good place in a sense, but, but, but he was kind of using it as an excuse. But God said, it's not you. It's not you who's, you know, he just wants us to be obedient. Let the results be up to him. We believe that, you know, uh, since the beginning, you know, we just show up and see what God's going to do because what am I, who am I going to do this, this punk kid from Claremont in San Diego? 
I was talking to like one of my best friends from growing up as a kid, and we, we just like, really? How could we ever do anything? He was telling me the story and, uh, about when he first became a, a Christian. He told me this, and I didn't know the story. He said he was like on fire. He was making like $2 an hour. And he went and, and he had all the people he worked with and his good friends. He went and bought them all Bibles. And he spent like $100, like a whole week's worth of wages to give these Bibles. But, but he just did it because he felt like that's what he was supposed to do. And some of the people made fun of him. His family members made fun of him. But he, he, gave them, he said that later on, a few years later, one of those people came back to him and says, You know what? I am so glad you gave that to me because you know, it, it, it touched me. And I, and I became a believer. I gave my life to Jesus. You do not know what could happen from your life. But God knows. And God did it. Mike didn't do it. My friend Mike didn't do it. He didn't save that guy. He just was obedient to do something, and God did, some, God did it, right? God was there. How about his second reluctance here, verse 13? Are you tracking with me on this? I guess not. <clears throat> Moses said to God, that, that in itself is kind of a telling statement, Moses said to God, we just should stop right there. Just be quiet, Moses. Don't say anything. Just say, here I am. Moses said to God, suppose, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So it's like, suppose this should happen, suppose that should happen. Now, they probably would and will ask him, like, why are you here and what are you doing and, and who sent you? We kind of see that happens. So it's kind of a valid question. But again, I don't think that's where Moses is coming from. It's more like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? I, you know, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't do it. What is God's answer? Look at this. This is, this is a powerful couple of verses here in uh, the book of Exodus here, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. God said to Moses, that's what makes a difference, right? Not what Moses said to God, but what God said to Moses. He says, he answers the question, he says, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Wow. Now we know the name Yahweh, and we, we've seen this I am who I am, and, and we see it even in the New Testament where Jesus said, I am. He talks about all the different ways that, that he is. But this name here, 
Moses asked the question. God answered the question. He said, I am who I am. You see, he, he actually answers and, and tells Moses that his name is actually a verb. Right? It's actually a verb. I am. That's a verb, right? Any English people in here? English teachers? But it's a very telling verb. It's a verb about the very being of who God is. I am who I am. That he is the eternal one. He talks about, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, he's the same God of Abraham who was a long time ago. The God of Isaac, who was a long time ago. The God of Jacob, who was a long time ago. The same God. So he says that he is eternally existent. Past, present, and future. This is the God who is. Not the God who was, the God who will be. Though he has those characteristics, but he is the God who is. He always has been, always will be. There is no one like him, no, no one equal to him. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal sovereign. He says, this is my name forever. Now, when you go back and look at these, really, these three instances in these two verses, he says, I am who I am, then he says, I am, and then he says, Yahweh. We see it in your, in your translations. Uh, the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, is always in capital letters. L, capital O, capital R, capital D. If it's the other Hebrew word, Adonai, it's capital L, small O-R-D. So whenever you see that, it's that word. It's translated uh, really four letters. Who knows what those four letters are? Y-H-W-H in, in English transliteration. And we, we pronounce it Yahweh. And we don't know exactly how it's translated. But it is, it is directly related to these to what he said here, I am who I am. This verb, it's a, it's a, these three are all directly related. I am who I am. Jesus comes along and he says, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. And, 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 and then, you know, at, at some point he says, before, before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. You see, this is my name forever. You and I are only here on this earth for a short time, but God will live forever. He is. The next generation, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It talks about Jesus. Verse 18, let's, excuse me, verse 16, let's move on. I'm already running out of time, and I'm not even close to being finished. But, you know, there's no potluck to get to, and there's no donuts to get to, so we got all kinds of time here, right? (laughs) Verse 16, he says, go. There's that word go again. Assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob again, appeared to me. And said, I have watched over you. I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hiphites, and Jebusites, A land flowing with milk and honey. 
He says, go and assemble the elders. Tell them this. I want you to tell them this. Verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Make note of that. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably favorably disposed toward this people so that you will not leave empty-handed. God says they're going to listen, speak to them and tell them. What's Moses' answer? The third reluctance, chapter 4, verse 1. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? Didn't God just tell him, they will listen to you? And Moses says, what if they won't listen to me? <laughs> do, you, do you need hearing aids? Are you having a problem? Is your, what's wrong with your hearing, Moses? And God tells us these things too and speaks to us and we say, well, are you sure? Like, are you really God? God knows these things. What if they don't? The, the truth is that it's not Moses' problem anyways. It's, that's God's problem. That's God's issue. Chapter 4, verse 2, Then the Lord said to him, The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. (laughs) I like that. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord God of, your, of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he says that so many times, has appeared to you. God says to him, what's that in your hand? He says, you know, what, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And he says, what, what do you have in your hand? And, and I find that interesting too. God used what Moses had in his hand. He, he already had that in his hand. Where did he get that? He got that from this time of preparation, right? He'd been out there taking care of sheep, so he had that staff, that shepherd's staff, already in his hand. He'd been prepared. He, that's what he had. Well... God, unless you give me a bunch of stuff, I'm not going to do anything for you. But he already had it. What you already have in your hand, what God has already done in your life, what God has already given you, how do you know he doesn't want to use that right now? You think of the boy with the five loaves and the two fishes, right? That was a miracle. What God did with just what he had in his hand. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot at all. When you looked at what the need was, thousands of people, 
God just took what was in his hand. Moses ran away from him, but then he was told to grab it by the tail. And, and it turned back into a staff, right? And God said, this is, I'm going to show you. I'm going to use this to show the people if you have any problem. But when you think about that staff, right? Did that staff ever come into play again? Besides the fact of turning into the snake and back again, right? He, he used it to part the Red Sea, to strike the rock. And when they were in battle, he raised the staff and they were victorious. So the question is, what do you have? What do I have that God might want to use? Say, well, I don't got much. Don't say you don't got nothing, because that's a double negative. (laughs) Don't say it, because you have something. Every one of us has something. And do you want to just lay it on the altar? Say, here am I. Whatever I got, whatever you've given me, I just want to be available and do what you want me to do. Chapter 4, verse 6. He gives him two more signs. Puts his hand in his cloak, comes out leprous, puts it back in, and he heals it. He gives them another sign where the water would become blood on the ground. Verses 6 through 10. Verse uh, 10. Excuse me, that was verse 6 through 9. Verse 10, his fourth reluctance. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I have never been eloquent. You know what? You can kind of understand this. He'd been out in the, in the backside of the desert taking care of sheep. He'd been talking to sheep for 40 years. Okay, I get it. I can't do that because this is what I've been doing. But you know what? It wasn't even true, was it, about Moses? It wasn't true. How do I know that? Because Stephen says it. We looked at some verses in Acts chapter 7. We looked and reread this verse. Moses, it says, was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in speech and action. So it wasn't true. It's just an excuse. Oh, I can't speak. But even if it was true, is that a good excuse? No, not at all. You know, the Apostle Paul, it says uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, some say that his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. That's the Apostle Paul. Did God ever use the Apostle Paul? I think so. (laughs) I think he did. He was used mightily by God. And maybe he didn't have the, the, you know, the, you know, speaking gift like Billy Graham did or whatever. But that, that doesn't mean that God couldn't use him. You say, well, I, you know, I don't have, you know, that kind of gift. So I can't really talk to the people around me. The Bible says, open your mouth, he says, and I'll fill it. 
open your mouth and I will fill it. Verse 11. Trust me, we're almost getting to the end here. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I think he was kind of said that a little bit louder. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. He says, go. I am going to help you. Over and over, God says, go. And God says, I will help you. I will teach you. I will do it. His fifth and final reluctance, found in verse 13, what does it say? But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Please send someone else. He was kind of polite. He was, you know, he said, please. Please, God, don't ask me to do that. But you know, Politeness doesn't make up for refusing to obey. I don't care how polite we can be to God if he asks us to do something. If we're refusing and we're unwilling to to listen and obey and we say, God, I'm not going to do it. Send someone else to do it. Doesn't make up for being polite. Look what happens. Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron? The Levite, I know he can speak well. And he's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him, put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak, and will teach you what to do. And he will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, so you can perform miraculous signs with it. This is kind of interesting, really. He said, God, God kind of uh, is really a compromise, isn't it? Moses says, I can't go. I can't do it. Send someone else. But God says, you're going to go, but I will, I will send your brother along with you, Aaron. Someone writing about this says that this is really God's second best, right? Why? Why did, why did we say that? Why did he say that? Because Aaron could be a help or a hindrance. In fact, he was both. Aaron helped his brother out a lot. But who got them worshiping the golden calf? It was Aaron. Who got together with Miriam, his sister, and says, Moses, who do you think you are? It was Aaron. But God, you know, sometimes God... Maybe you can say it's his compassion, maybe his mercy. He allows you know, us to get help with someone else. But he, he doesn't say, Moses, you just stay here on the desert. I'll send Aaron instead of you. That's what Moses wanted, right? But God didn't say that at all. He says, I'll, I'll go ahead and send Aaron with you, but you're still going, buddy. In fact, he does... Agree to go. He goes back to his father-in-law and says, you know, I got to go back. I got to go back to Egypt. Verse 20, it says, So Moses took his wife and his sons and he put them on a donkey and he started back to Egypt. 
and he took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God. It was his staff, right? But God says, I'm going to take what you have and make it something. Make it, make it way bigger, way more powerful than what you just have. Don't say, send someone else. You think about the story of, of Esther, right? Esther, you know, she was the queen. And the king, you know, he was getting ready to just wipe out the, the, the Jewish people, right? Because somebody had instigated it, this, this to, to happen. And so her uncle says, you need to go and speak to the king on the behalf of the people of Israel, the nation, the Jews. And she said, you know what, I can't go because if I go there and he doesn't raise his scepter to me, I'm dead. And, and what does it say? He says, he says, you know what? And I'm paraphrasing. He says, you know, God can send someone else. God can and will use someone else to take care of his people. But, but you and your family are going to perish. But he says this, but, but, you know, what if for such a time as this, you are in this place where you are for such a time as this? It's you that needs to go in there and speak to the king. And sure enough, she goes in and she, and read the story for yourself. It turns out miraculously in in her behalf and in behalf of the Jewish people. Warren Wiersbe, Moses did not immediately agree with God's plan to send him. This is what he's thinking. Was he not a failure? He failed so many years ago. Did he not have a family? I can't do it. Was he not too old? I can't do it. And he argued with God about God's will for his life. Does any of that sound familiar to you? I know I've been there on just about every one of these things and at different points in my life. And even now, God could say, I got something I want you to do. I got something different. I got something for you, and, I, and, and you need to be obedient. I can make all the excuses, but you know, it's an, excuses enough, enough. God doesn't want someone else. He wants us. He wants you. He wants me. That's what he wants. You know what? When we, when we accept it and we just are available, and that's what he wants is our availability. You've heard that before, not our ability Incredible things can happen and exciting things happen in our lives. And we go like, wow, that was, that was really cool. Yeah, why? Because we just were available and we opened our mouth and God could use us. Amazing. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, it is an incredible story. We see Moses at the burning bush, but... I, I, how many times are you trying to speak to us and there's a fire and you want to let that fire raise us up and use us in some way, shape, or form, whatever it might be. Forgive us for our excuses, Lord. We have them. We have loads of them. 
Forgive us for the times we, we, just, uh, we just don't want to do it. Pray you'd soften our hearts that we would be obedient and willing. Because there's no greater thing in this life than to, to be used by God, to be used by you, Father. I pray you'd mobilize us, each one in this room, Lord. Maybe even today something radical, some opportunity would arise. And, and I believe it could happen. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So go and be what God has called you to go and to be. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done in our lives. And, and uh, here am I. Send me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand it and sing together, shall we?